this morning, we are going to look at James chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. So you can open that uh, in your Bible. James chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Um, it's written by James. James is the brother of Jesus. He's also a leader of the church in Jerusalem. You can read a little bit about him in Acts chapter 15. Um, most likely written in the early to mid 40s AD, so about a decade after Christ's ministry. Um, and, uh, and again, this is James, Jesus's brother. So the theme of the letter that, that he's written is, uh, is about living out one's faith or, or faith in action. The audience that he's written to are Jewish Christians dispersed throughout Gentile regions outside of Israel's boundaries. Uh, and these are our Jewish uh, Christians who have been dispersed either, um, either as Jews back in the time of Babylonian and Assyrian exile and have been dispersed all over the place and then came to Christ uh, living in those places where they were at or um, Christians who, who came to, or Jews who came to Christ uh, in Jerusalem and then were dispersed uh, throughout these, these regions um, because of, of persecution of Christians. Uh, in that first century. So, um, but either way, he, he's writing to Jewish Christians specifically uh, is, is kind of the main um, audience that he's, he's writing to. And they're, they're dispersed throughout all over the place. So, um, uh, and they're, they're experiencing persecution, they're experiencing poverty, and then that's resulting in conflict with each other. And, um, and then also this, this pursuit of worldly lifestyle. So they're, they're not putting their faith into practice and instead they're becoming double-minded. They're going back and forth uh, between God and the world. And so um, I want to read James 1, 1 through 8, and then I want to pray. And then we'll just kind of go through it verse by verse this morning and see uh, what we can glean from God's wisdom in his word uh, as we even experience our own frustrations with technology this morning. So here's James 1, 1 through 8. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful that uh, there are no technological difficulties with your word. We're thankful that you've given it to us in written form and that especially as uh English-speaking Americans, we have it in so many various ways uh, that there really is no uh, thing that can keep us from your word uh, and, and access to it. We're grateful for that. And so this morning, as we, um, as we open it up together and hear from you, uh, would you remind us of that and, and give us a, a, an attitude and a heart of, of thankfulness and, uh, and joy as we hear your word together, your spirit uh, uses that in our hearts to, uh, to point us to Jesus. And we pray that that would happen this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. So, um, 
James, James starts out the letter and he calls himself a servant of God in verse one. Um, not the brother of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but if, if I had that sort of in, in my resume, I might use that to my advantage sometimes. But he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not my brother, Jesus Christ, my Lord, Jesus Christ. James is, is giving this example already, even in his greeting, um, of the humility that is required for every believer as we approach God and as we seek him for the, uh, the wisdom that we need uh, to live out our faith. And so, um, so he's setting this example off right off the bat. And then he um, lists who, who this is to, to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad. We talked about that already. Um, these are Jewish Christians, the 12 tribes representing all of Israel, scattered all over the place, not in Israel, um, experiencing persecution, experiencing uh, poverty and those kinds of things. And so, um, so right off the bat, we get this humility from James. We get who he's writing it to. And these are the things that we are um, keeping in mind as we go on to verse two. Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. So. I think by now um, we can understand that trials are normal for believers. Our American mindset says the opposite, that, that that's the last thing we want. We want to end trials as quickly as possible. We want to be rid of them. We never want to go through something like that again. And yet as the, the Christian experience is not one without trials. And so, um, Persecution, illness, financial hardship, these are all things that James will address in this, in this letter. Um, and, and for us, we, we, we can all, I mean, just even this morning, um, we're experiencing frustration and trials in just even trying to have a time together online, right? And so, um, but James says, as believers, we should not only expect trials, but we should also take great joy in them. What? Why should we take great joy in them? Verse three, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So when we consider the trials alone, when we focus on the trial itself, and that's where our mind and our heart goes, it's hard to find joy. But when we consider God in the midst of the trials, then we can find joy. We can find joy in him. And that gives us then the ability to endure what we're facing. We start to, we start to think about God and his presence with us and our union with Christ uh, in, the, in the trials. We need to be honest about our trials, right? We've, we've talked about this before. The Bible never tells us or requires us to, to deny any reality that we're facing. It never requires us to take something and and. and and pretty it up and make it not as seem not as bad as it really is or anything like that. The Bible never tells us to pretend, but it also tells us that as we're being honest with our trials, we also need to be honest about who God is. We need to be honest about God in the trials. We call the trial what it is, but we also need to call God who he is. And so your level of endurance is directly proportional to your focus on Christ in the trial. So the, a question for us to think about this morning then is, is what or who has the focus of your heart in these last two months? What about this morning? What about yesterday? What about last week? What about tomorrow? Who or what will have the focus of your heart? So Thursday night, we have this tornado warning that comes and, uh, and, and 
we're down in the basement with the kids and one of our kids is just, I mean, terrified and kind of shaking and feeling, uh, feeling physically sick and, and we're sitting there trying to comfort and then the lights flicker out and, uh, and they come back on and, and then I start to get nervous because ironically, I'm not really scared of the tornado itself. I'm more afraid of our power going out and our sump pumps stopping. Um, but but so there's this there's this trial we're facing on on Thursday night in the form of a a physical storm coming and the unknown of what what it's going to do and what's going to happen and so you know we're praying together as a family and and that passes and we all go to sleep we wake up the next morning uh, Friday morning and we come out to the kitchen and and you guys know uh, most of you know that we've been one of the things we've been doing during this. Um, the quarantine and stay at home order is um, we've really gotten to enjoy the birds in our backyard. And so we're bird watching all the time. And Friday morning, um, it was like a rainbow of color of the birds that were in our backyard, scarlet tanagers, indigo buntings, uh, a yellow warbler. There were all kinds of Orioles. We had oranges, we had reds, we had blues, we had yellows. I think green, oh, we had hummingbirds. So we had green, we had like literally every color of the rainbow. We were just in awe of, of what was we were seeing. And that actually gave us a, a, an opportunity and a reminder um, of, for ourselves as parents, but also um, an opportunity for us to, to open God's word with our kids and go to Matthew 6 and, and talk about how um, anxiety, what it does to us and, um, and how God um, knows the birds of the field. They don't labor, but they, they're fed. He, he um, consider the flowers of the field that, you know, they don't dress themselves. God clothes them in splendor. Not even Solomon was dressed in such splendor, it says. And so we got this reminder, this, this real world reminder through God's word, as we're sta staring at this abundance of birds in our backyard, eating all the food that they want and the beauty that they're, they are uh, arrayed in. And we got this reminder that how much more does God care about us? And how much more was, was God with us the night before in the storm? And how much more is God with us and continuing to be with us through all of these things that we're facing and giving us the endurance that we need in order to get through this? And so our hearts were greatly encouraged Friday morning by a bunch of birds on our back deck and, and that led us into God's word and we're reminded of his truth. So we called it what it was, the trial what it was, but we also got to call God who he is. And we were able to focus on that and have joy then in the midst of the trial. So God wants to build you up spiritually with things uh, that last far longer than the coronavirus. Um, joy, endurance, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, right? These are the fruit of the spirit that he's growing in us. Romans 5, 3 and 4 says, and not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. 1 Peter 1, 5 through 7, you are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So if the testing of our faith produces endurance, then what does endurance do? We need to look back at James chapter 1, verse 4. 
and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. The full effect of endurance is the spiritual maturity, the completeness, blamelessness, wholeness of every believer, that we lack nothing spiritually. Romans 5 tells us that endurance leads to proven character and character leads to hope. So endurance actually produces hope in us. It, it reminds us, it, it um, con confirms our faith is genuine and gives us assurance of our salvation. Uh, and in 1 Peter, it tells us that, that praise and, and glory and honor will be at the end of endurance. And when we are face to face with Christ on the day that he returns, it results in praise and, or in, in glory and honor. So what do we need in order to see God clearly in our trials? We need wisdom. What do we lack often in trials? Wisdom. What should we do if we lack wisdom? Verse 5. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. Now, that word now at the beginning of, of verse 5 is this marker of contrast. James just explained what endurance does for his readers. It matures them to completion. It gives them um, wholeness and in Christ so that they lack nothing spiritually, but then he knows that they're not fully um, mature and complete in their faith yet. Neither are we. And so James says, uh, endurance brings you to a point, a, a place of uh, where you lack nothing, but knowing the reality that you're in right now, you lack wisdom. And so if you lack wisdom, what do you do? You need to ask God for it. So what is wisdom? Wisdom is the right application of knowledge. It's the ability to understand and act accordingly to what we, uh, uh, to, to the information that we're given. Um, I posted on Facebook earlier this week, a blog post, a link to a blog post um, from Brett McCracken on the, um, on the, the Gospel Coalition's website. Uh, the blog post is called Watch Your Knowledge Diet in, Co in the COVID-19 Crisis. Um, I will send that link out again. Uh, I highly encourage that if you haven't read that yet to, to read that. In it, he says, we have an abundance of information and a shortage of wisdom. We have an abundance of information and a shortage of wisdom. We have knowledge coming from every direction, right? Experts on both sides of every opinion, every sort of thing. Um, I just read the other day that um, now they're saying that, that there's certain mouthwashes that may potentially help. Uh, keep you from contracting COVID-19 because of uh, the, the stuff that's in the mouthwash and because it's transmitted so much through your throat and all of that stuff, right? Just, just all this information comes through. Um, so we get this, we get, but we need, to, we need to be able to filter it then with wisdom. Take this knowledge and, and figure out how we actually apply it um, or if we should apply it at all. And so we get knowledge from people, but this is really important. We get wisdom from God. We get knowledge from people, but we get wisdom from God. Verse 5 tells us that, right? If you lack wisdom, where does James tell us to go? Not to your neighbor, not to, not to all of these experts, but to God. God is the one who gives us wisdom. And he freely gives it to us. This is, this is the beautiful promise in verse 5. He freely gives it to all who ask for it without ridiculing or without scolding us because we lack it. So we can come and acknowledge that, that we're missing wisdom and God will give it to us freely without 
mocking us for that without ridiculing or scolding us. But we need to ask for it with a certain mindset. What's the mindset? Verse 6. But let him ask in faith without doubting. For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. So we need to trust that God really is the source of all wisdom, right? This is the element of faith. We're, we're trusting that when we go to God for wisdom, that he actually has it to give to us and that he will give it to us. We need to believe that God doesn't lack what we lack. We need to believe that God has what we need, the wisdom that we're asking for, so that we're not tempted to find it somewhere else. And so that phrase in, in verse 6, without doubting, um, gives this, this, uh, this sense of having divided loyalties. Doubting is having divided loyalties. So what does it look like to be divided in our search for wisdom? The second part of verse 6 says, For the doubter is like, a sur like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Like a wave of the sea blown around by the wind. That's what we look like. That's what we are like when we um, come to God for wisdom, but, we, but we're looking, we, we have like our hand open to him for wisdom, but our eyes are shifted to our newsfeed, uh, the world around us, right? We need to be careful not to be driven by whatever wind current of knowledge is blowing through our newsfeed. We need, um, we need to be coming to God regularly for that wisdom. Why? Because it keeps, uh, uh, why do we need to be, to, do we need to be um, careful not to be driven around by the, by the wind currents of our newsfeed? Because it keeps us from gaining true wisdom. Verse seven and eight. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. So if we're asking God half-heartedly for wisdom, if we're opening our hand to him, we're looking around everywhere else for it, um, should we expect him to give it to us? James says no. If we're not actually believing that God is going to give us the thing that we're asking, why should we actually expect him to give it to us? It's loving for God to withhold it from us because it will cause us to be dissatisfied with everything else and drive us wholeheartedly to him. In God's wisdom, God reveals to us our double-mindedness, our, our divided loyalties, between him and the world, and he graciously reveals to us how unstable it is to live that way, so that we realize that there is no wisdom to be found in the places we're looking, and we come to him. We re we're reminded of James' promise that if we lack wisdom, we can go to God. He will give it to us graciously and abundantly without finding fault. The wisdom we need from God has been revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Ephesians Chapter 1, verse 7 through 10 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. 1 Corinthians 1 18 through 25 says for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but it is the power of god to us who are being saved for it is written i will destroy the wisdom of the wise and i will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent where is the one who is wise where is the teacher of the law where is the debater of this age 
Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks ask for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Now, of course, Paul is not saying that God is foolish or weak, but he's using that in the sense that even if God could be, it is far greater than, uh, than, than our own. Uh, his, even God's foolishness would be wiser than our wisdom and even his weakness would be stronger than our strength. Again, pointing us to God himself rather than man for what we need. So how do we gain wisdom in our trials? We dwell on our union with Christ through the gospel. Uh, it said it said in 1 Corinthians, it said, yet to those who are called, in verse 24, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for those who believe, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, right? Christ is the wisdom of God and the power of God uh, for salvation. And we know this through the message of the gospel. The hope of, of Christ is the wisdom of God. Christ himself is the wisdom of God. He is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Um, Christ is the wisdom God has to offer us. And Christ is the wisdom that we then have to offer to a world that is being tossed around by every wind of knowledge. So how do we make sure then that we're guarding against double-mindedness and focusing on Christ and his wisdom? And this is the thing I was going to show you, um, but it's from this blog post that I, that, uh, I, I mentioned earlier on the, the Gospel Coalition's website. But it's called the Wisdom Pyramid. And um, it is, uh, it's, it's a diagram that looks like the Food Pyramid. And, and essentially, it gives us the, 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 the portion control so to speak, of all of these different avenues of knowledge that we would gain, and then how to apply that through wisdom. And so at the bottom of it, um, I'll send this out to everyone too, but at the bottom, and he links to it in his, in his um, blog post, uh, the bottom of it is, is our base for everything. It's our daily bread. It's God's word. We need to have, be in God's word more than anything else uh, and pursuing the wisdom of God through his word. I would encourage you this week, to read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it talks all about spiritual wisdom and how we get it. And it's, uh, it, it requires the Spirit and the Spirit to reveal the Word of God to us. Then the next layer is um, the, the greater, the, this is going from greatest proportions to least proportions. The next layer is the church, that local gathering of the body of Christ that, um, uh, that we continue in these, in these weekly rhythms. Now, granted, we can't physically meet together yet in the capacity that we would like to. We're praising God, even in the midst of the frustrations of technological difficulties. Um, we're still praising God that we're able to, to open his word together, even this morning, and, and gain wisdom from him together. And so we need um, the application of God's word, the, 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 the intake of God's word together as a church. Uh, then the third one is nature and beauty. God reveals himself to us through nature. Psalm 19 tells us that. It's this revelation of God, who he is. Romans 2 tells us that. 
Everyone is without excuse because you can look outside and you can know that there's a God. And so God in his, in his creation is revealing certain attributes about himself to us. We got a, a firsthand example of that as a family on Friday when we came out and saw all these birds. And then it led us to, the, to God's specific revelation of his word to us and renewed our hearts in Christ together. And the fourth category is books. More old books than new books. Um, a, a wide array of books, books that get you back into scripture itself, books that are rooted in God's word. Uh, then the, the, um, the next one, the next layer is the internet. Uh, Google and Wikipedia only as needed. Focus on trusted sources. Prioritize content recommended by wise people. Uh, and then the very last tiny one, it's like the sugars on, uh, you know, all your sweets and stuff on the food chart. Uh, the one that we love, or at least I love to, to overindulge in. Um, but in, on here, and I think, I think that we would all, if we're honest, we can be guilty of this, um, is the social media stuff. That is the one that we need to regulate the most. Um, use social media sparingly. Learn to live without it too much is a bad is bad for your overall spiritual health so i thought that was a really helpful um just practical guide for us we have it up on our wall uh so that we pay attention to it and are reminded that when we start to get um just you know you read one headline and then that takes you to another headline and that takes you to 10 more and and then you're sharing stuff on social media and um it can just be draining and exhausting and and uh um, for us as believers, we need to understand that endurance is required not just to get us through this trial, but endurance is required for a lifetime for us until Christ returns. There, there's a, there is a lifetime of endurance that is required of us. And the only way that we will get that is by continuing in the wisdom of God and, and coming to him and seeking him to filter all this knowledge that we're getting and to, to apply that wisely then in love, both toward God and toward our, our neighbors and toward one another. So, um, so that's what I wanted, I wanted to talk about this morning in James. And, uh, and I want to pray, but I want to pray uh, according to God's word. I want to pray from Colossians chapter 1, 9 through 14. So let's pray together. For this reason also, since the day we heard about your faith, we haven't stopped praying for you. And Lord, this is our prayer this morning. We are asking that you may fill us with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that we may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to your glorious might, so that we may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to you, our Father, who has enabled us to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. You, God, have rescued us from the domain of darkness and have transferred us into the kingdom of the Son you love. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Lord, would you help us to remember that? and to continue to come to you for wisdom, not in a double-minded way, but in a wholehearted way, knowing that only in, uh, in Christ and his word is wisdom found, and that you've given us your spirit and your church to help us uh, stay focused on that. And so, uh, in, and then in wisdom, God, that you will help us to persevere and endure, 
not just this trial, but all trials to come until Christ comes to rescue us from all of it and renew us for all eternity. We pray this in the name of our Savior, in the name of the one who is the power and wisdom of God, Jesus Christ. Amen.